You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Brad Biggerstaff. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. Our scripture lesson for today comes to us from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the eighth chapter, beginning with the first verse. Hear now God's word to us this day. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, So that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, But I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today is the fifth and final week of our series, The Five Practices of Fruitful Giving. The practices are radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, risk-taking mission and service, and extravagant generosity, our subject for today. One of the hallmarks of the church from its earliest days was the practice of extravagant generosity. Acts chapter 2 recounts, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. This need, though, seems to have persisted among the saints in Jerusalem. So it was that Paul took it upon himself to raise funds for the church. Having already instructed the Corinthians in his first letter to put aside money for the Jerusalem church, Paul follows up now by reminding the Corinthians to give generously to this collection by appealing First of all, to the example of the Macedonian Christians. In chapter 8, verse 1, he writes, 
We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, we know something about that, don't we? Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. Now we know that comparison is not necessarily the most healthy way to motivate someone especially among siblings, Paul's message could be viewed as manipulative, except for the fact that most people who give generously do so because they have learned by example from someone else. I know a man who received a significant inheritance after the death of his mother. Rather than spending it or pocketing all of it, he gave 10% to the church and in this way honored the memory of his mother, the one who had taught him to give in the first place. Ultimately, our giving is a reflection of our spiritual maturity. Paul continues in verse 7 and 8, now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, or as it is also translated, your love for us, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. Paul wanted the Corinthians to excel in giving as much as they did in the other areas of their Christian witness. Notice he didn't tell them how much to give. He simply told them to be generous like the Macedonians. Now I know we are in the middle of a pandemic. And some of you may think it insensitive of me to talk about giving when millions of people have, are suffering terribly from the economic impact of the pandemic. The truth of the matter is, though, that the economic impact has been a mixed bag. While some have lost their jobs, their businesses, or a significant portion of their income, others have thrived. You know, I've seen more workers in my neighborhood during the shutdown than in years previously. There's carpenters and tree cutters and house painters. I mean, there was so much noise in my neighborhood this week that it distracted me while working on this message. Understand that giving is not dependent upon one's economic position. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? To give according to their means or even beyond it. That is, we are to give according to the measure with which we have been blessed. The amount of the gift is not as important as the fact that we give. Paul is not asking for equal gifts. 
He's encouraging equal sacrifice. So why do we practice extravagant generosity? Well, according to Scripture, we give, first of all, because everything belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. The scriptures attest to God's ownership of everything, including the land and the silver and gold and even the wild animals. For every wild animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, for the world and all that is in it is mine. If God owns everything, that means that everything we own belongs to God and that we are merely stewards of it while here on earth. Because we have been taught the tithe, our tendency, I think, is to think of only 10% of what we possess as belonging to God, when in fact, 100% of it is God's. When the boys were young, I got on to them one day for messing up the living room that I had just cleaned up. I told them, I don't appreciate you trashing my living room. To which Dylan retorted, Mom, it's not your living room, it's God's. <laughs> he may be a smart aleck, but at least he learned the lesson. When we understand that God is the owner of everything, then it's not just what we do with the 10% that matters. Every dollar we earn, every dollar we save, every dollar we spend is a spiritual matter between us and God. Giving 10% has been the biblical standard for thousands of years. It's not some outdated Old Testament mandate that we are to cast aside. Because not only did the patriarchs practice the giving of the tithe, Jesus commended it. But giving a 10% a tithe, while wonderful, is not extravagant giving. Because a tithe is what is expected. The tithe, then, is the baseline. Extravagant giving is what surpasses all expectations. So we only begin to give extravagantly when we give above the tithe. We give, first of all, because God is the owner of everything. We also give because giving is a matter of the heart. One way in which we express our love for God and for neighbor. Paul says as much, writing in verse 8, I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. When King David received the offering to build the temple, he said, O Lord our God, all this abundance that 
we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. What was he doing? He was acknowledging God's ownership. And then that their giving was tied to their condition of their hearts. I know, my God, he said, that you search the heart. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts to you. So it's not just the gift that is offered, but the giver. And more accurately, the heart of the giver. As Jesus put it, where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. You know, the truth of the matter is that God doesn't need our money. God is going to accomplish God's purposes with or without our gifts. But what God wants first and foremost is our hearts, for our lives to be in alignment with God's will and purposes. Extravagant generosity is the fruit that grows from the radical hospitality of having first welcomed God into our hearts. As Billy Graham famously said, give me five minutes with someone's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. What do our financial transactions say about us? They tell us who really holds the title to our hearts. Those who give extravagantly do so because they understand that God is the owner of everything. And secondly, that God wants not just their money, but their hearts. Finally, and most importantly, we give because God first gave to us. It is God's very nature to give. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. In verse 9, Paul continues, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus divested himself of his divinity, taking on human form. He became poor for our sake and was sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. In gratitude, and as a response of thanksgiving, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice and our material resources for God's purposes in the world. Ultimately, then, it is the generosity of God in Jesus Christ that motivates us to be generous. We give out of gratitude for all that God has given to us. So we give because, what, God is the owner of everything. 
because it is a matter of the heart and because God first gave to us. So if we know we are to give, why do so many Christians give so haphazardly rather than extravagantly? Because our consumeristic, materialistic culture works against the practice of extravagant generosity. How? Well, first of all, through burdensome debt. Proverbs 22 says, 7 says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. Ever been there? We will never become extravagant givers through debt. Debt is not the way to generosity. Our financial house must be in order. If every dollar you earn is already spent before it hits the bank, then you will never become a tither, much less an extravagant giver. Herzen and I tithe to Midway and Hillside as a minimum, and then we give to ministries and missions beyond the local church. I share this with you not as a matter of pride, but to let you know that I am setting you an example, even as Paul pointed to the example of the Macedonians to encourage the Corinthians. How are Herzen and I able to give? Well, first of all, we aren't up to our eyeballs in debt. That's not to say there hadn't been a time when we were. But we aren't up to our eyeballs in debt. We drive older cars, so we don't have a car payment. We live in an older house that we've owned for over 20 years. There's nothing magical about it. We've made choices so that there is room in our budget to give to God's work through our churches. And you know, even during those times when we did carry debt, we gave first to God. We didn't wait until the end of the month and give God the leftovers. If we did, there wouldn't have been anything there. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. When we give first to God, we honor God and align our lives with God's purposes. We become extravagant givers by eliminating debt, and by giving to God first, not what's left over. And we also become extravagant givers by giving proportionately. In other words, we, we set a goal. If you are, aren't tithing, don't get discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. Just start somewhere. Set a percentage that you are going to commit to give to God's work. And then grow each year until you reach the tithe or beyond. We become extravagant givers when we decide ahead of time what percent of our income we are going to give to God. Not by giving randomly as the opportunity presents itself. Finally, we become extravagant givers 
by learning contentment. Paul told the Philippians, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I've known what it is to have little, and I've known what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That last verse is a pretty popular and well-known verse. Yet a lot of times we don't associate it with its subject matter, which is contentment. Dave Ramsey is fond of saying, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know or even like for that matter. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Did you know that the average American, no matter what their income level, when they are asked what would make them happy in terms of material things, they on average, they will say 20% more. If they just had 20% more income, they would be happy. There's nothing magical about 20%. It's just the concept that more is better. Reality is, though, if we haven't learned to be content, even if we reach that next level, we'll still want what? 20% more. One day in the middle of the shutdown, I received an envelope in the mail. It was from a retired couple in the church, and in it was a check and a note. And in the note, they told me that they had received their stimulus check, and they didn't need it. So they were passing it on to the church so that we could help a family that did need it. Because of their generosity, we were able to help a family unable to work due to a serious illness. When this retired couple got an unexpected blessing, they didn't look around for a way to spend it, but rather a way to give it. They had learned to be content. Contentment, you know, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Only when we learn contentment will our lives bear fruit for the kingdom. Exhorting those of means to set their hope on God and not on the riches, Paul wrote, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Bishop Snazy in his book tells about a longtime member and proud grandfather who was having, whose uh, grandchild was being baptized one Sunday. At the same time, a new family to the church was also 
having their child baptized. Well, after the service, the families were intermingling as they you know, took pictures and uh, church members came up to greet them and congratulate them. At one point, the mother from the new family had to get something out of her purse. And so the grandfather from the longtime member offered to hold her baby. He found himself saying over and over again to the church members who were approaching him, Oh no, this, this one isn't mine. I'm just holding him for a moment. Well, the next day, the pastor got a phone call from this man at church. Now, if you know anything about pastors, when someone says, we have to see you today, we wonder what it was that we did wrong. This man showed up to the office, and he told the pastor that he wanted to give something from his will to the church. And the pastor was surprised, and he asked him what it was that had made him make this decision. And his eyes turned moist, and the man said, Well, yesterday I realized something while I was holding that other baby. I kept telling people that he wasn't mine. But then it dawned on me that he was part of my family, part of my church family. And I've been a member of this church for more than 40 years, and in God's eyes, I'm a grandfather to more than my own. I've taken care of my own children and my will, he said, but I realized I need to provide for the children of the church. So I want to divide my state and leave a part to the church as if the church were one of my own children. Bishop Snazy writes, Every sanctuary and chapel in which we have worshipped, every church organ or piano that has lifted our spirits, every pew or seat where we have sat, every communion rail where we have knelt, every hymnal from which we have sung, every praise band that has touched our hearts, every church classroom where we have gathered to study, every church kitchen that has prepared our meals, every church van that has taken us to camp, all are the fruit of someone's extravagant generosity. We have been the recipients of grace upon grace. We are the heirs, the beneficiaries of those who have come before us who were touched by the generosity of Christ enough to give graciously so that we could experience the truth of Christ for ourselves. My brothers and sisters, we owe the same to the generations to come. Let us pray. Good and gracious and most generous God. We acknowledge you as creator of heaven and earth and that all things come from you and everything belongs to you. Help us, Lord, 
to be good stewards of all your many blessings. May we treasure you in our hearts above all else and be motivated to give after the example of the saints who have gone before us, but most of all by the example of our Lord himself, who though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor. May our giving match the extravagance of his act of sacrifice on our behalf. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.